Uh, okay, we'll get started. My name is Joe Deegan, and I am on staff here with RYM. I've been on staff for a year and a half, and this has just been a dream job for me, getting to work with this ministry and getting to lead worship and teach these classes. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we dive into the lesson. I am originally from a small town called Tuscumbia, Alabama. It's in the northwest corner in the Shoals area. And um, I was born and raised there, went to college at North Alabama, and then moved out to Houston to work with my best friend growing up. His name is John Trapp. He's an RUF pastor at University of Texas. And John and I got to work together with the youth group at Christ the King in Houston. So I went from a town of like 7,000 people to 7 million people. That was a little shock to the system there. But uh, John and I got to work together, and it was great. I spent seven years working with the youth ministry and then eventually felt a calling towards music. And that eventually led me into this job with RYM. And I'm super grateful for it, and I've loved every part of it. While I was in Houston, I met my wife, Leah, who's sitting right here. Leah is pregnant with our fourth due in October. So we have three kids right now. Ellie is five. Yeah, thank you. That deserves a round of applause. Ellie is five. Sam is three and a half. Will is two. And Maggie will be here in October. So I'm pumped to meet her. Anyway, that's a little bit about my family. Uh, Houston has been our home for my home for 10 years now. And um, really grown to love it. But I'm excited to be here and teach uh, to you guys. Also, as kind of a segue into the lesson, another little something about me. I come from a long line of storytellers in my family. My, uh, my uncles and aunts and cousins, everybody, like what we would do at family gatherings is just sit around and just tell funny stories or interesting stories. This was just kind of what we did. And uh, my, my grandmother was actually a professional storyteller. She would get, uh, travel around in parts of Alabama and tell like ghost stories or folk tales at these like festivals and things. And I, can, I just have such vivid memories when I was a little kid sitting on the lawn of the Helen Keller Library. Uh, Helen Keller's from Tuscumbia, by the way, which is my hometown. That's our one claim to fame. Sitting in the lawn of the library with like hundreds of people gathered around, and my grandmother would just sit there and tell these stories, and I would just be captivated. All right, so storytelling is is a is a big tradition in my family. It's it's come down a long ways, and I always think of myself not as much of a musician as as I am a storyteller because that's what I'm really passionate about is trying to tell stories with the music and the songs, and even in these lessons. So what this uh, elective class is going to be about this week is how stories shape us, why stories are so valuable and so important, and how they shape and mold us more than anything else. To get started, I'm going to tell you a story about stories. We're getting pretty meta here. All right. Several years ago, way back in like the 14, 15, 1600s in Europe, most people lived in small communities and villages kind of in the countryside. Some people lived in big cities like Rome, Paris, and London. But most people were in these small villages just kind of out in the country. And in these communities, there's a strong sense of family values, wanting to teach your children uh, the, you know, the rules of life and wanting to teach them to be respectful and loving, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. They wanted to care for their children uh, keep them safe. 
And they lived surrounded by these dark woods and forests, and it was dangerous to go into the woods. And so they wanted to teach their kids not to go into the woods because there were wild animals and bears and mountain lions, you know, like we're talking about here in Colorado. There are things that want to hurt you in the woods, so you're safe within the community. All right, so they wanted to teach these lessons to their children, but they realized early on that you can't just give a five-year-old a bunch of rules. All right, you can't just look at a five-year-old and say, okay, here's the rules. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't be disrespectful, and do not go into the woods. All right, what are they going to do? The exact opposite. There's something about rules that just makes us want to do the opposite. So what these parents and communities did instead was they began telling stories. This was in a day and age before there were TV or Internet or anything like that. So at, in, at night, they would gather around, and families would tell stories, and parents would tell children fairy tales. Stories about a little girl dressed in red who wants to bring a meal to her grandmother, but she has to go through the woods to get there. And when she gets into the woods, she's chased by the big bad wolf. All right? So they would tell these stories to their kids, and the kids would go, Well, I don't want to go into the woods. All right? Done. It works. You don't need a rule when you have a story. And so they begin telling these stories to their children. And sometime around the 1800s, there were these two brothers named Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm who decided to collect these stories. And they published the first book of these stories called Grimm's Fairy Tales. And these are the stories that you and I grew up with. Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood. That's just to name a few. All right, so they took all these stories and collected them. And the purpose of these stories was to shape and mold the children. Because rules do not do that. So what I want you to see as we dive into these lessons this week is that stories shape us in a way that nothing else can. Rules and lessons don't do that. But stories do. I'll give you another example of that. There is a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's out there on the book table. You should check it out. It's an, it's an incredible children's Bible. And she, I heard her tell the story one time. She went to an elementary class and was telling the story of Daniel to the little kids in the room. And as she was telling the story, the teacher got up and left. And so she's alone with these kids and she's like, uh, okay, I guess I'll just keep telling the story. So she's reading the story and there's this little girl who is sitting like in the front row and the little girl's eyes are so wide. She's never heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. She's just transfigured fixed right now can't get enough of it she's actually like scooting closer and closer as the story goes on until like at the story's end she's almost in sally lloyd jones's lap she's like so enamored with the story and then when sally lloyd jones jones finishes she looks around the teacher's not in there and she kind of panics and she says okay children what can we learn from the story of daniel and she looked at that little girl and her eyes fell it was like she realized in that moment, the best way to ruin a story is to turn it into a lesson. <laughs> because the stories themselves actually shape us. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I'm going to repeat a little bit of what Richie talked about last night. How God created everything and it was good. It was very good. 
So we are still in that stage when everything is good. The fall hasn't happened yet. And in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, here we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Let's pray. God, you created us and you created us in your image. Will you help us to see how important that is, how significant that is? And would you help us to see how stories connect that to your image? Would you help us to see that we were made for stories because we were made to love the things that you love? And God, would you speak through me right now? Because my words alone are absolutely pointless. They're empty. They don't change anyone. Any change or growth that would come from anyone's heart right now has to come from your spirit. And so I pray that you would take my words and use them and speak through me and open our hearts to receive the good news. In Christ's name, amen. My son Sam is three and a half. And more than any of my other kids, he looks just like me. Like my, my, he's, uh, my kids are home right now with my parents in Alabama. We left them there so that we can be here in Colorado. And every time Sam would walk into the room, my mom and dad both would just be like, oh my goodness, that he looks just like you, Joe. And it's not just the looks, though. It's, uh, I realize as Sam gets older, how similar he is to me in a lot of ways. He's very bent towards artistic and creative things. Uh, he's very right-brained. He's also not very organized. He's, he's like very scatterbrained a lot. All those things are very similar to me. But even little things, further than that, when Sam was nine months old, he started doing this really funny, weird thing where he'd sit on the ground and I'd sit behind him and he'd just be sitting there looking around and he'd just throw himself back, like just completely backwards. And I'd have to catch him and he'd just cackle laughing. He thought it was so funny. And it was just this really funny thing that I've never really seen babies do before. And I remember when my parents came in town and visited, I was like, Mom, Mom, you guys, you guys see what Sam does. All right, so I'd set Sam in, front, Sam in front of me, and it was almost like he's doing a trust fall. He would just kind of go, oh, and throw himself back, and I'd catch him, and he'd start laughing. And I looked up at my mom, and she's going, I said, what? She said, Joe, you used to do the exact same thing when you were a baby. I said, no, you're making that up. She showed me a home video of little nine-month-old Joe Deegan sitting there in front of my dad, and I'd just go, oh, throw myself back, and he would catch me. And I'm thinking, how? I didn't teach him that. It's not like I was like, Sam, this is this thing that I used to do when I was nine months old, and I think you should try it out because it's really fun. I didn't, I didn't even know I did that. DNA, okay? Like, he is, he is mine. He comes from me. And he shares this really weird thing that I used to do, okay? I've never seen any other baby do that. And when Sam walks into a room, people see him, and they say, that boy is the spitting image of you. That's what that means. So when we say that we were created in the image of God, it's not just like saying that we look like him. It means that we share his DNA, It means that he made us 
out of himself. We bear his image. And what that means is we were created to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. But then, as Richie talked about last night, the fall happened. Everything was ruined. Creation fell into this darkness and our image was tainted so that we begin to actually love some of the things that God hates. And we begin to hate some of the things that he loves. And everything is just corrupted and messed up. But every now and then, that image will shine through. As Richie talked about, the echoes of Eden. Right? We will see what we were meant to be, what we were made for. And one of the places we see that most clearly is in our love for stories. When I was a youth pastor, I used, to, um, I used to joke with my students about this. Whenever I would be teaching Sunday school, I would be like in the middle of a lesson, kind of the, the meaty part of the lesson when I'm giving the facts and all that stuff. And, uh, um, and, and I would see their eyes. This is early Sunday morning, and they would just kind of like glaze over and slowly start to nod. And then I would say, this one time, and every head would perk up. All right, why? Because they know I'm about to tell a story. Because we were made for stories. You didn't even realize this. When I actually started telling you that story, all of your heads perked up, okay? <laughs> because you were made for stories. We love stories so much. It's what we want to hear. It's what we were made for. Even in classes, even in, in sermons, we... We get so excited when somebody tells us a story. That's because we were made in God's image. And stories were meant to shape us more than anything else. How many of y'all have seen Avengers Endgame? All right, for those of you who haven't seen it, let me tell you how it ends. I've become a big fan of all the Marvel movies. I love them. I was never like a big comic book guy growing up, but I love the movies. I think they're really well done and really fun. And uh, I've been trying to get my wife into them, and she's pretty reluctant. One of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her to love them. But anyway, I, I just love the continuity of the story that's been told. Avengers Endgame was kind of the conclusion to this long story that took 11 years to tell. Avengers Endgame is the second highest grossing movie of all time, and it's probably about to pass Avatar as the number one movie of all time. And I find that fascinating because... If you really think about it, Avengers Endgame is not a very good standalone movie. You can't just walk into a theater and watch that as your first Marvel movie and go, man, that was awesome. All right? You're going to be completely lost if you've never seen any of the other movies before that. What's so fascinating about it is that it's really part 22 of a 22-part series, and it's the conclusion to this epic story that's been told for 11 years. And people flocked to the theaters to see it. Why? Because we love long, epic stories that take a long time to tell even. We love satisfying conclusions to those stories. We were made for stories. Stories shape us in ways that nothing else can. They shape the general public out there who doesn't even realize it when they're flocking to the theaters to see this thing. We were made for stories. I want to talk about three things this morning. Um, these are kind of my, my three points. Number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. 
And number three, your story should be shaped by God's story. You don't have to write that down. We'll get to it. Number one, your life is a story. I was an English major in college, and I can remember all of my professors just impressing on us the things that every story has to have. Like, if it doesn't have these elements, it's not a story. So I'm going to give you three things this morning that every story has to have. This is going to sound like an English lesson. Please bear with me. You're not in the classroom. There's a point to all this, okay? Uh, I'm also super proud of myself that I made all three of these things start with the letter C because I really like alliteration as an English major. Okay, number one, every story has construction. Every story has to have construction. In other words, it has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every story has construction. Number two, every story has characters. It has to have characters because characters build relationships that drive the narrative forward. And number three, every story has conflict. I can remember my professor saying, when, like creative writing classes, he would say, if you don't have conflict, you don't have a story. Where's your conflict? Where's the problem? Every story has to have a problem that needs to be fixed or redeemed. And the best stories are the ones that actually redeem those problems, the redemptive stories. So every story has to have construction, characters, conflict. Let's look at our lives for a second. Your life has construction to it. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You were born, you grew up, you've lived, however long that may be, and eventually our lives, our stories will come to an end. There's a span of time, construction to that story. You have characters in your story. You are a character in your story, perhaps the main character. Your story kind of revolves around you when you think about your own story. But your friends, the people who are with you, who kind of live day to day with you, they're the other characters in your story, all right? And God put them there for a reason, because God is the author. You have these characters in your story that are driving that narrative forward. Now, one of the things I want you to consider is that maybe some of the characters in your story aren't actually people. Like for me... One of the characters in my story would be my hometown, Tuscumbia. Like I said, I moved from a town of 7,000 to 7 million people. So there's something about going home that kind of helps me relax sometimes. Going home to Tuscumbia, and it helps me feel like, okay, this is familiar. Like the smells and the sounds and the season. Like that was a character in my life growing up, and it shaped me and molded me. All right, so we, you, have, you may have relationships to places or things in your life or people. Those are the characters in your story, and they matter because they're there for a reason. The third thing, you have conflict in your story. We talked about the fall. Sin ruined creation. It ruined your story because as much as you were made in the image of God, that image has been broken you are constantly trying to satisfy yourself with things that don't satisfy you. That creates conflict. That creates brokenness in your life. Some of you have conflict that is deeper and darker than others. Some of you are going through that right now. Some of you feel absolutely broken by that conflict, and you feel like it's a, it's a brokenness that can't really be fixed. Some of you might be in that point in your story. First off, 
You need to know that you are loved and that you're here for a purpose and a reason. We're going to get into more of that this week, so I want you to be patient with me as we continue to talk about our own stories. But I want you to see that your life is an actual story, all right? It's not just a random piece of events. You weren't just like popped in here in a big bang and like you're just pieces of molecules floating around. You are a character in a story that is being told. And that matters. That's important. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. Number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. There's a lady named Emily Esfahani Smith. She says, when we want people to understand us, we share our story with them. When we want to know who another person is, we ask them to share their story. I have a group of friends who recently, just several months ago, we started meeting together. We don't live in the same city, but we'll come together and we'll meet. And the purpose of that is to sit around and share our, our stories with each other. So literally, it looks like this. One person will sit there and say, you know, this is what my life looked like growing up. These are um, things in my childhood that I love, things that were really difficult. This is how it kind of affects me now. These, is, these are the things that I love doing. These are the things that I struggle with. Um, this is what I'm going through right now. We, we just share our stories with each other and actually become vulnerable with each other. And in doing that, we know each other better. That's so valuable and important because your story was not meant to be lived alone. You need to see that. James 5, 13 through 16. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it to you right now. You can just listen. James 5, 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me sum up that passage for you. James is basically saying this. Your story needs to be shared with someone. You need to confess your sins. You need to ask for help, ask for prayer. You need to have people in your life to come alongside you and walk through your story with you. Because you are not meant to live the Christian life alone. That's why God gave us the church. That's why he gave us community. That's why he gave us people so that we can share our stories with each other and know each other better. Again, this brokenness that we live under, it affects all of us. One of the things I've been blown away by in my adult life is seeing how many people you look at and if you just kind of see them on the surface level, you think, man, that person's got it all together. And then you really hear their story and you see, my goodness, they are just as broken as I am. And I'm not alone. You see what that does? When you share stories with each other, you see that you're not alone. And it's a humbling thing to know that other people out there are struggling with you. And that we need each other to bind together and walk through this story of life together. It's what the church is all about. So my one quick side note I'll say to this is that you need the church. Okay? Some of you may not feel that need. And what I mean by that is this, not, not, not just youth group. Youth group is important. It's really important. But not just that. You need Sunday morning worship. You need to be in the congregation 
with believers who are younger and older than you, who have walked through different stages of life. You need each other. You need to stand next to these people and hear each other sing out loud the truths that are so vital to our hearts. You need to sit under the preaching of the Word and hear this preacher tell you the truth of Scripture. And you need to go week in and week out because God works. I've heard someone say this before. God works in our hearts through a cumulative effect. A lot of times we want God to do this big, awesome thing in our lives. But the most effective thing that God does is He slowly shapes and molds us through faithfully walking with us. And one of the ways He heals our brokenness is through the other people in our lives who are sharing that story with us. Through the church. You need the church. It's so important. Okay, number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. Number three, this is the last point. Your story should be shaped by God's story. When I was growing up, I used to hear people say things like, God spoke to me. God told me to do this. God told me to do that. Um, Or like, I just need to listen to God more. Or you need to listen to God more. And I was always so baffled by that because I would just sit there and think, I've, I've never heard God's voice. Like, I don't, is, it, is there an audible voice I'm supposed to be listening to? Like, how do you hear God speak? And the answers that I would get would be something like, well, you, 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 have, to be, you have to be quiet. You have to be still. You have to like, put everything else aside. And I don't think I was getting great advice. Not, not that like all of that is completely wrong. There's a lot of value to being still and quieting our souls and our hearts. But I was constantly searching for this audible voice or this feeling deep inside of me until I was in high school and somebody finally pointed out to me that God speaks most clearly through His Word, through the Bible. If you want to listen to God, open up your Bible and read it because it's literally God's Word being spoken to you. And I went, oh, that makes sense. I've never thought about that before. The way to listen to God is to open up my Bible and read it. Okay, I got it. The only problem was I still didn't get the full picture. All right, this is where I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you and, and kind of like let you know some of my my insecurities and shortcomings. I, here I am, this like worship leader for RYM, and I've been a youth pastor for a long time, and, and I've like taught people about the Bible for a lot of my adult life. And I have had a really, really rough relationship with the Bible um, for a long time. And it has nothing to do with disbelief. It has everything to do with apathy. I've struggled to care about the Bible. And I've realized recently it's because I've been seeing the Bible, I think, the wrong way. Because for most of my adult life, I've been reading the Bible slash listening to God. Okay, when you read your Bible, you're listening to God. I've been listening to God the same way that I would listen to a teacher give instructions in a classroom. God, tell me what to do. Tell me what not to do. Tell me how I'm supposed to handle this situation. Uh, will you give me advice that I need? Okay, thanks, God. Bell rings, class dismissed, and I'm gone. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the Bible does not give you instruction. 
I'm not saying that the Bible does not teach you. I'm not saying that there are not lessons to be learned in here. I'm not saying any of that. I don't want you to go home and be like, Joe said that the Bible is not supposed to give us instruction or teach us anything. I'm not saying that, okay? It does give instruction and teach us. But first and foremost, this book is a story more than anything else. It is a story from beginning to end. And it's a story that's meant to shape us. You know what's so amazing about this book? Is that it's actually God telling us his story. Something changed literally a few months ago when I was realizing that as I was sitting around listening to my friends as we're sharing our stories with one another, I realized that when I hear my friend tell me his story, my first response is not, okay, everyone, what do we need to learn? What lessons can we learn from so-and-so's story? That's not how you respond when someone tells you their story. The way you respond is, thank you for telling me that. So I'm sorry for the things you're going through. Um, I'm excited for the things that are great right now. Um, I feel like I know you better now. That's the purpose of telling our stories to each other. The main goal of reading this book is not instruction, it's intimacy. Again, I'm not saying that you can't receive instruction from this or that God does not instruct. The Bible is good for teaching, for instructing, for rebuking, for discipline, all those things. It is, it is absolutely important to be instructed by God's Word. But more than anything, the goal is intimacy. It's to know Him better and to hear His story. And when I finally came to grips with that, it changed the way I read the Bible. Because I would open up my Bible and instead of going, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Or how does this passage apply to my life? I would say, God, how can I know you better through this story? Like, I'm going to give you, like, there are certainly passages of Scripture that will apply directly to your life and something you're going through, and that is God's providence. That is God being good to you and helping you. But there are going to be passages of Scripture you get to that you're just going to be like, man, I don't know how that applies to my life. For instance, I was reading through the book of Judges recently, and there's a story about this guy who is running away from an army, and he goes into this woman's tent, and he says, hey, can I hide in here because all these men are chasing me? She says, sure, sure, you can hide. You're safe here. In fact, you can go to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, she grabs a giant tent peg and nails it through his temple and kills him as he slept. I read that story, and I thought, okay, and the application is, like, how is this supposed to apply to my life? I don't know. Honestly, I don't really think it does apply to my life, but... This is part of God's story. And he's telling it to me for a reason. And it's part of a bigger story. So that's another uh, point that it's important to take the Bible in context of the whole story. It's part of a bigger story that's being told. And I need to keep reading in order to get a better picture of the big picture. The point of reading our Bible is intimacy. Knowing God better and hearing his story. How do we do that? I'm going to close with this. You need to be listening to God's story every day. And again, I'm getting vulnerable with you. I've struggled with this my entire adult life. Here's what a lot of my Bible reading, this is the super practical point of the lesson, okay? Here's what a lot of my Bible reading would look like growing up, or even like in in, in adulthood. I would 
get so fired up and I would say, okay, I'm going to read 10 chapters a day every day for a year. And I'm going to be so immersed in scriptures and I'm just going to be such a better person for it. And I would read 10 chapters that first day. I'd be so fired up. I'm like, man, that was a lot, but I'm feeling pretty good about myself. The next day I read 10 chapters and I'm like, that was a haul two days in a row. But you know what? I'm going to keep moving on. I did it. I'm proud of myself. The next day I get to chapter five and I'm like, gosh, this is taking a while. I've got things I got to do today, but you know what? God loves me and he's not going to be disappointed in me if I stop right now. So I'm just going to take a break. And you know, it's important to rest too. God cares about rest. So I'm not going to read the rest of these five chapters. I'll make up for it tomorrow. And then the next day I come in and I'm like, (laughs) I got to read 15 chapters today to make up for it. You know what? God loves me so much that he's going to be okay if I just skip today because this is a really busy day. I'll get back on it tomorrow. And the next day I say the same thing, and the next, and the next. It becomes easier and easier to stop reading my Bible. And sometimes weeks would go by. Sometimes months would go by before I ever open this book. All the while, I'm like being a youth pastor and teaching students and leading them. I'm not even opening my Bible. And then I realized something about myself. Uh I I love sports. I play sports uh, growing up. I love basketball. I'm more of a sprinter. I'm not an endurance runner. Like running one mile for me is like the most I could possibly think about running. Running a marathon is like, how in the world can you get yourself up to do 26.2 miles? I cannot fathom that. Okay, my my idea of running is like stand at one end of the baseline of a basketball court, sprint to the other, stop, catch your breath, and then take a break. And I realized that I had been reading my Bible like a sprinter, not a marathon runner. I'd been reading my Bible, taking off as fast as I could from the start, and I'd burn out in three or four days, and then I'd take a break and try to catch my breath until eventually I'd feel so guilty that I'd get back on the horse, do it again, and that cycle would repeat year after year. That was my relationship with my Bible. Until finally I realized reading your Bible is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and you need to pace yourself. So I'm telling you something that I did. This is going to sound like an infomercial, like like a motivational speech or something. I'm just telling you what worked for me. What really helped me read my Bible is I just began reading one chapter a day, and I didn't feel guilty about it. I picked a book of the Bible. I, I decided, okay, I want to start in Joshua. And this was just a few months ago, and I started Joshua chapter 1. I read one chapter, I closed my Bible, and I prayed. The next day I read Joshua 2. I closed my, my Bible and I prayed and I said, God, like, how can I know you better through this story? The next day, Joshua 3, and so on and so on. And guys, I haven't missed a day in several months. I'm not saying that in any way to boast. I'm saying that to say, look, I've struggled with this my whole life. But when I finally learned to really pace myself, I'm beginning to consistently stay in God's word. And you can do that. I promise you can do that. Now, yes, if I read more than one chapter a day, it would probably be more beneficial to my soul. But you know what? If I read one chapter a day every day for a month, how many chapters have I read? 30, 31 chapters of the Bible? When's the last time you read 31 chapters of the Bible in one month? I, we struggle with the Bible, especially in a day and age when we are so tempted by so many other distractions to entertain us. The Bible's not going to be the most entertaining choice every day, but it is the most important. 
It is the story that is going to shape you more than anything else. And so I'm encouraging you right now, read one chapter a day. And don't feel guilty about not reading more. And you know what I've discovered? Is that as I have been faithfully walking day in and day out, a hunger has grown in me. Now, I'll have some days where I'll read like six or seven chapters in a day and not even realize it. I'm like, man, I just kept going because I like, I'm hungry for God's story. But I don't feel like I have to do that every day. The next day, I'll just read one chapter. Because I think that consistency and faithfully walking with the Lord in the small things is more important than grand gestures of love and faith and devotion. In fact, it's not even what I think. I think that's what Jesus thinks. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Little faithfulness, day in and day out. One chapter a day. Now, there's nothing magical about one chapter. It's not like a chapter a day keeps the devil away, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that, like, this is something, this is something that you can do and pace yourself with day in and day out. And all of a sudden, you'll look up three or four months down the road, and you've read five, six books of the Bible, and you're starting to get a better picture of the story and who God is by faithfully walking with Him day in and day out and letting that story shape your story. And you know what? This is not just something we're aiming at for like, let's do this for a few months. Guys, this is, I'm talking about the rest of your life. Can you imagine if you just read one chapter a day for the rest of your life? You go from Genesis to Revelation, and when you're done, start over again. Keep going through. Keep immersing yourself in the story. I know that sounds daunting, but you know what? The rest of your, when you think about the rest of your life, that's kind of daunting too, about all the things that can happen. But imagine all the changes that your story goes through, all the different turnings of the page and the different chapters you go through. And all along, this one faithful, consistent thing that has been there is that every day you have been in God's Word and He has been shaping you with His story. Can you imagine getting to the end of your life and seeing how his story has just opened your eyes to his beauty and his glory. And not just that, but open your eyes to the story that is to come. We're going to talk about that on the last day. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the stories that the world is trying to sell to you. And those stories are false narratives, the lies of this world. And you need to be aware of that, and you need to be able to compare them to the story of Scripture. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are great. I'm going to pray and then we'll be done. God, you are good and your story is good. And I pray that that we would walk out of this with a renewed love and excitement for your word and your story. And God, that we would walk out of this excited to spend time with you and to faithfully walk with you day in and day out, even at a very slow pace. Because I don't think the Bible was meant to be speed read. I think it was meant to be read slowly and to immerse ourselves in it day in and day out. Would you help us to do that? Would you give us the love and the faithfulness to walk with you? And God, in order to do that, we need to know your love and faithfulness towards us. It is never failing. It is steadfast. You have grace beyond grace. And we don't read our Bibles in order to impress you or get you to like us more. We read our Bibles because you love us and like us so much already. We want to know the story of the God who has given up everything to be with us. So we want to be with you.
Would you help us to believe even in our unbelief and to walk with you every day? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.